but um, just to say, I'd really like to recommend three books to you, um, which kind of um, encompass quite a lot of uh, some of the stuff that I've been speaking on over the last three weeks, and also some of the stuff that um, Antley's been speaking on as well. A um, book by Derek Morphew um, called Breakthrough, um, some quite dense um, teaching about the kingdom of God. So if you want to kind of uh, a little bit of a heavy book teaching about the kingdom of God, um, then Breakthrough, um, Derek Morphew. Also, um, a slightly kind of easier read um, is um, a book called Start Here, Kingdom Essentials by Don Williams. I know Don's come and spoke here. He's a good friend of St. Mary's, a good friend of mine, and I really recommend this book also. And finally, this is a new book. I don't think it's out in the States, um, but um, it's a book written by a guy called Simon Ponsonby, who's a theologian um, in Oxford. He's a resident theologian on the staff of St. Aldate's Oxford, which is an Anglican church. And this is a brilliant book. Um, this is a book that he's particularly um, written um, to teach about the, the power and, and the, of the Spirit of God and particularly aimed at conservative evangelicals. Um, and it's a book, it's a theological book, um, but it's, it's very accessible. And, um, and I'd really encourage you to read that. Okay. Um, I, yeah, thank you so much um, for having me um, here at River City. I've had an absolutely great time. Um, I, you know, I've got to make some new friends. I've got to, uh, you know, rekindle some old friendships from a couple of years, and also people that have come and visited St. Mary's. And I'm going to be delighted to go back and tell some of the stories of what God's um, doing here, um, back at, um, at the staff team at St. Mary's. You know, we pray for you regularly. Um, we write up about uh, what God's doing in our kind of Mary's Mag, our weekly bulletin. You know, Jenny Cronin, as I know many of you know, you know, she's really kind of making sure that we hear about um, what um, River City Church is doing. And it's amazing what God's doing. And I'm just delighted uh, to have been with you for the last three weeks. So thank you very much um, for the hospitality that you've given me. Um, I've been a Christian um, for over uh, 24 years. And I first became a Christian um, at the age of 14 on a church kids camp. Now, I don't know um, what your experience of kids' camps are, but, you know, my experience has been that, you know, kids, Christian parents usually send their unruly kids um, to these Christian kids' camps in the vain hope that they'll encounter God and they'll become Christians. Well, um, the, in fact, for me, I've been on a number of these kids' camps and I've managed to avoid, um, for most of them, kind of saying the prayer I'd managed to avoid kind of God and, and Christianity because for me, um, these, these Christian kids camps were just a great opportunity um, to explore the senses. You know, they were a great opportunity to um, um, play sports. They were a great opportunity to, you know, go in the sea, do a whole bunch of activities and, um, and make friends with girls and um, snog them. I don't know if you have snogging. It's kind of making out. It's the, the French kissing. Is that, is that kind of... And at the age of kind of 11, 12, 13, I was quite um, advanced. And, um, and I figured that, you know, most of these trips, it's really just about winning. And, um, you know, achieving, doing well in sport, being the best kind of like team group that would win, you know. Team Gareth! Way They won this activity or whatever. And basically, if I couldn't win, then I'd find ways of winning. And I figured at that age, really, that you're only a cheat if you get caught. Because no one really knows you're a cheat unless you get caught. And, um, but the summer of 1984 was a little different. 
And, you know, I'd probably become quite obnoxious, self-obsessed. Um, you know, I was pretty sure that the world owed me something, and I had a lot to offer the, the world at 14. And, um, but what was particularly interesting about this um, summer camp for me was the fact that my tent leader... And by the way, camping in England is not that much fun. I mean, it's June in England, and it's, it was ra- it's been raining the last couple of days, I've been told, as much as it's been raining like here today. And my tent leader was a guy who's in a wheelchair. And we're camping in a field, and you get muddy, you get dirty. And this, my tent leader, John, um, I've met him a number of years since and been able to talk to him about um, this, this summer encounter. But... What struck me about John was that he was full of God, he was kind, he was patient, and, about, and perhaps above all, he was naughty. And I, I really like that. You know, I like, I, like, I like being a Christian, being good, but I also like being naughty too. And, um, and we chat about God's stuff, you know, we'd do all the fun stuff you did on, on kids camp, and he'd talk and I'd listen, surprisingly. And, um, you know, and I'd talk and he would listen. Well, it was partway through this um, kids camp. It was on the Wednesday night and there was the, the usual m- worship meeting that took place in the evening. You know, well, we'd have um, um, the kids on the camp would lead the worship, which was quite painful. And then usually someone would do a skit. Usually by the Wednesday night, it was the story of the prodigal son. And, um, you know, it always happens. And then there'd be a reading and someone would speak and kind of like, you know, speak from the Bible and all that kind of stuff. And I can't remember much about that. It's, a, it's all a bit of a blur. But what began to happen in this marquee, this tent, in this field in South Devon in 1984, was um, the lights started flashing on and off. And um, the generator packed up. And then someone would go out and the generator would start up again. And then it'd pack up again and the PA would stop working. And it, there was, it, it was weird. And, um, and then something happened in me. You know, people were kind of still praying and, and leading worship. And then all of a sudden, I broke down and cried. And I cried like a baby. And it wasn't because I was scared because the lights were going on and off. It's because for the first time in my life, I realized what I was like on the inside. I realized what I was like on the inside and I didn't like what I saw. And for the first time in my life, I knew I needed God in my life to change me, to transform me. And what happened in that tent in Marquis, as I, um, as I, I was on my knees just crying, I had this encounter with God, which I would now describe as an encounter with God the Holy Spirit. It was a power encounter where God broke into my life and started to do this work of restoration and coming into a real relationship with the living God. And then, but what also happened that night, I believe, was that there was a clash of powers. There was a clash of powers taking place in that tent. There was wind blowing, there was lights going on and off. It was like a gale was blowing in and out of this tent. And I believe that there was the, 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 the powers of darkness were fighting, and, but the kingdom of light broke in, and I'm the result, I believe, of the kingdom of light breaking in, of the power of God breaking in. And I want to talk this morning about the kingdom of God as power. The power of God 
that is available to all of us to change our own lives and to transform the lives of others. And some of the stories that we've already heard about people being away um, in Cuba, you know, the praying that we've been praying for people to be healed from cancer, that's all about the power of God breaking in. The kingdom of God coming down to earth. Now, heaven invading earth. We might say that power is the main expression of divinity. That God is all-powerful. Job, in chapter 42, says, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jesus, in Matthew 19, said, With God, all things, all things are possible. All things are possible for him who holds the power. The Holy Spirit is God omniscient, God omnipresent. When we consider the Spirit, we meet God present in the personal, powerful presence of God. Power, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is this. The ability to do, the capacity of doing, possession of control or authority, the ability to act or affect something. And history is littered with the names of those who have tried to yield power over other people. You're too old to be a Barbie doll, sweetheart. I ignore him. That is harsh. Really harsh. I want to sing in opera. We don't want you to. That was absolutely dreadful. Yes. What? How dare you? What? This what? girl can sing. She's got a great bloody voice. And who's going to buy a record? It's enough. Enough. I think you're probably the most disillusioned group of people we've had in this competition. And that's the truth. I think the group is horrendous. You have absolutely zero edge, no originality. I think individually you're weak. I think as a group you're even worse. Absolutely zero chance of you guys ever, ever, ever having a successful career. Just say what you mean. No, I mean it. It's just a complete and utter <laughs> waste of everyone's time, that audition. <laughs> And the masters of the universe, by the power of Grayskull, Power has all sorts of ability to transform people's lives, to crush with words, to 
crush people's dreams or to make people famous. To destroy and destruct a nation. Abraham Lincoln said, give a man power and you'll know his true character. But God's power, the Spirit's present power, is eternally joined to love. We can't talk about the power of God without knowing that the, 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 the Spirit, the power of the Spirit is eternally joined to the love of God. Love is the presupposition of the exercise of divine power. The earliest accounts of the clash of powers that we find in the Bible are in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness, darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the breath of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's power is something that creates life and sustains life. In Greek mythology, Hercules strains to hold the globe of the world, while Atlas strains to hold up the heavens. But all these things, God's Spirit does effortlessly with his breath. As I mentioned two weeks ago, it's the breath of God, the Spirit of God, the Ruach, the breath, who breathes life into mankind and we become living beings. So by this, I logically conclude that today all Christians need the same spirit of power to advance the life and the work of the kingdom of God. In the life of Israel's judges, the work of the spirit is linked to power. In judges, we, we meet a group of men and women who are especially endowed by the spirit with power to lead Israel against her, her enemies. Othniel, it's a very helpful name to say in the Bible, Othniel. In, in Judges 3, we read about Othniel and we read this. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. And he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord God gave Cushan, king of, the, of Mesopotamia, into his hands. At his, at his hand prevailed over Cushan, the Mesopotamian, because he was endowed with the spirit of God. Gideon, Judges chapter 6. But the spirit of God clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abiurazites were called out to follow him. Jephthah and Samson, men clothed and empowered by the Spirit. And this power, this breath of God, was understood as equipping the judges with boldness, authority, courage, and the ability to unite the disjointed tribes of Israel and to confront and defeat her enemies. One recent biblical scholar comments about this period, the life of the judges in Israel, saying, it is the miraculous power of the Spirit, which is the real force behind these acts of redemption, that preserve the life of the nation of Israel. By this, I logically conclude that today all Christians need that same spirit of power to advance the life and the work of the kingdom of God. The Old Testament prophets similarly equated the work 
of the Spirit with power. Isaiah anticipates the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And he, and he says this about the, the Messiah. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. See, this King, this Messiah will not just have the wisdom to make the right decisions, but the might, the power to see them put into effect. The prophet Micah said he had the spirit of power to tell Jacob about his sin. Micah 3.8 But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and Israel his sin. In a well-known scripture, the prophet Zechariah says that God's purposes will only be fulfilled not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. The temple will rebe- the temple of God will be rebuilt not through the efforts of King Zerubbabel, not through the might of an army of builders, not with the power of the army of builders. Then how? From a human point of view, the task of rebuilding the temple was impossible. There simply weren't enough people to do it. But God's Spirit makes up for what is lacking in the natural. His breath, His divine power, raised the temple. And what is lacking in the ta- for the task in hand in the ability of men and women can easily be made up by the power of God. By this, I logically conclude that today all Christians need the same spirit of power to advance the life and the work of the kingdom of God too. I mentioned last week that when King David, Jesus' prototype, was called to become Israel's next ruler and Israel's next king, the prophet Samuel anointed him with oil and the spirit fell upon him. We read that the, the, that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. And from that day forward, he was empowered by the spirit of God to lead the nation of Israel. By this, I logically conclude that today all Christians need that same spirit of power to advance the life and the work of the kingdom of God. The spirit of power joined the eternal Christ, with humanity in Mary's womb. It was a creative, dynamic act of the eternal, powerful spirit. And the same spirit of immeasurable power is exercised when Jesus, dead and buried in the tomb, is resurrected, breaking down the barriers of death and hell. Paul, writing in Romans chapter 1, says... Speaking of Jesus, he was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. The spirit's power which birthed Jesus causes us to be spiritually born again. And that same spirit which raised Christ to immortality will also raise our bodies from death. And in the public ministry of Jesus, the need for the power of the Spirit is very clearly evident. 
On Jesus' return from the wilderness, when he was tempted in the wilderness, we read in Luke chapter 4, that Jesus returned from that time of separation, of challenge and temptation in the power of the Spirit. And power here implies the mighty works of God. And you know what? We only need to survey the gospel accounts to read the reports of the power encounters, the miracles and the healings that took place at the hand of Jesus. The power of the Spirit is not mentioned again in the life and the ministry of Jesus because it's a given. It's a given that that's how Jesus ministers. He operates in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus' ministry reversed the slavery that's caused by sin. And he he reversed the power of Satan over our lives and manifested the power of the kingdom of God on earth. Where the demonized are set free, those who are sick with diseases are healed, lepers are cleansed, the paralyzed walk, the good news is heeded and embraced. And people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son, was empowered by the Spirit for the life and work of the kingdom of God, then logic causes me to conclude that today all Christians need that same Spirit of power to advance the life and work of the kingdom of God here on earth. Now, few Christians would deny that Jesus' anointing of the Spirit was the means of his power that was evidenced in the marvellous and miraculous works that he did. But some today would contest that that same availability and necessity of the Spirit's power is available in the church. In Acts 1, verse 8, shortly after, um, the, um, before Jesus' ascension, Jesus promised that the, the early church, this, he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now the standard evangelical interpretation of this is to link power to be a witness and to say that the power of the Spirit is for unction, is for anointing, for evangelism and for preaching, which of course has merit. The Spirit always anoints prophets and preachers and teachers to proclaim the gospel. But I'm unconvinced, unconvinced that this is the best reading of that text. And I believe it's a more appropriate reading of that, of that verse, that it's a promise, a promise that the church will receive the Spirit's power, a power to perform signs and wonders that will demonstrate the growing witness to Jesus, to who he is and his coming kingdom. Why? Because it's not only my own personal experience, but the testimony of the early church in the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, but also the testimony of the church throughout history. That the power of the Spirit is the distributor, the agent of signs, wonders, boldness, courage and love that causes people's lives to be transformed. In Romans 15, Paul speaks of his ministry as word and action. And he says this in verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything 
accept what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the powers of signs and wonders, by the Spirit of God. By the powers of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul says that these deeds are only done by the power of the Spirit of God. We only need to read the rest of the New Testament letters to see the evidence of the power of the Spirit in the life of the early church. And I logically conclude that today, all Christians today need the same spirit of power to live and work for the kingdom of God. A couple of um, months ago, I was speaking at St. Mary's and... um, um, I was praying before, um, when I got up, before I went to um, St. Mary's, which is what I usually do before I'm, I'm speaking, and I just kind of pray and ask God for stuff um, to reveal to me words of knowledge that might um, help people come into a deeper relationship with God. And um, throughout, the, throughout the whole morning, and, you know, I couldn't get, get um, away from the fact that God was telling me that there was a lady in church that was suicidal. And that that week had been considering suicide. You know, she'd contemplated taking her own life. And that's quite a big deal, isn't it? And it's quite a sensitive thing. And, um, but God had been bugging me about this all morning. I went to the toilet at St. Mary's. Yeah, usually when I speak, I have to go to the toilet about three or four times. I just need to make sure that, that I have this big, deep fear that when I'm speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to stop about halfway through and go to the toilet. So I go about 14 times and empty my bladder. Anyway. So God had been bugging me all morning, and I came towards the end of my talk, and I just knew I had to say it. And, um, and I just said at the end of the service, I said, um, I really believe here this morning that there's a lady here that this week you've been contemplating suicide, and that you've, um, you've been thinking of taking your life, and you, you're, at the, you're at the end, and you do not know what to do. And I shared it, shared a couple of other things, and we prayed for people, and um, and... I didn't really think that much of it after I'd given it. But then towards the end of the service, the lady come up, came up to me and she, said, and she looked, she looked grey. I mean, she looked a bit of a mess. I'd never met her before. Um, I know most of the congregation at St. Mary, but never met her before. And, um, and she, was, she looked grey. She looked like lo- there was no life there. And she said to me, That's, that was me, that word. This week I've thought about taking my life. I said, she said, will you pray for me? I said, yes. And I prayed for her. And um, God just broke in, and God did some stuff, which I don't fully know what God did, but I saw the power of God come into her life. And um, shortly afterwards, Crispin, who's on our staff, who's our theologian, came up to me, and he said, Gareth, that word was so true for her. She's been living with us um, for four weeks, and um, she's she's just a mess. And um, I saw her the next Sunday. She came to to church, didn't recognize her. I didn't recognize her because... There, she, was, she looked totally different. There was color to her. There was, there was vibrancy about how she walked into church. And she, she came up to me and said, Gareth, you don't know what that did. You don't know what that happened. That's the power of God breaking into people's lives and transforming people's lives. And we need more of that in the church. And where the church has tried to block out the power of the Spirit of God, we need to repent and we need to say, Spirit of God, come. We need to, we need to be a church that is continuously open to the power and the presence of God. But here's the thing. 
Here's the thing. The power of the Spirit of God was never intended to remain in the church. What, what happens here in, when people come forward for prayer and for ministry, where people are healed and, and set free, that's brilliant. That's, that's wonderful news. And I love it when God, God breaks in in the church. But the challenge for the church is to take it out on the streets. That's where the power of God is most... Is, I've seen more power in the streets of London when people have gone out and prayed for people and, and lives broken through. I used to be a part of a church in Watford called Soul Survivor. And um, there, were, there were teams that used to go out on the streets of Watford at night time on a Friday and Saturday night and get prophetic words for people and pray for people. I mean, that's weird. I mean, I don't normally do that, but this one, night, this one Saturday night, I was asked to go and lead worship, um, and, um, and I was leading worship on the streets, and that was, like, scary. Like, people walking out of clubs, nightclubs, and pubs underneath this kind of flyover bridge um, in Watford, and, um, you know, people were you know, clearly drunk, all that kind of stuff. But there, as we were leading worship and just kind of um, praising God, there were teams from this church who were just walking around, just chatting with people, and getting prophetic words, and seeing the power of God break through. Now that takes real boldness and courage. And when I read about the boldness and the courage of the disciples, it's on the streets. Peter, James, and John, walking towards church, walk, going to church on um, Sunday morning, as it were, and they see this, um, this leper, uh, sorry, this, um, this paralyzed man at the street, and he's begging there for money, because he can't get, obviously get money because he's, he's paralyzed, and they say to him, um, we haven't got any money, I'm really sorry. But what we do have is, a, is the personal, powerful impre- presence of the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks and goes into church and starts praising God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? And where we've tried to contain and restrict the Spirit of God, or just keep the Spirit of God into the church, we need to, we need to repent of that and say, God, we're sorry. Help us to take the pa- your power and your spirit out into the streets. In the Anglican Church, we have this liturgy. And I, and I genuinely don't, I think, that most Anglicans have no idea what this liturgy means when they say it. Usually the, the vicar, the church leader at the end, will say something like, will say this liturgy, he will say, or she, will say, um, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Most Anglicans... In the, in, in, the, in the Anglican communion across the world, have no idea what, they're actually, what a priest is saying when they say that. They're saying, get out there, get out there, take the power of God. The power of what we experience here in the worship place is always intended for the marketplace. Where you go to work Mondays through Fridays with the people that you encounter in your social life, It's the power and the presence of God. And what I was saying two weeks ago here in the Sunday morning about our kingdom identity, understanding who we are as God's divine image bearers going out into the world. It is to take the power and the presence of God into the world. And whilst we we love worshipping Jesus here, you know what? Our Our worship here means absolutely nothing. You know, the songs that we sing to God you know, read Hosea, read Amos 5. If, if, you, uh, if our worship here does not go out into the streets, yes, to feed the hungry, yes, to serve the poor, but also to, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick and to cast out demons, then it means nothing. And the church 
the people of God that comes together, that is gathered here, has to be sent out, scattered, empowered by the Spirit of God. Let's stand.